Today is Monday, June 13th, 2022. This is the Quick Start Podcast from CBN News. I'm Dan Andros. A group of 10 Republican senators have helped pave the way for what's being labeled a bipartisan framework for a gun safety bill. The NRA has responded. The bill would include red flag laws, a major point of contention. Madison Seals and Tara Mergener will have the details on those red flag laws in our main thing today in just a few minutes. But first, we're going to take a look at the headlines with Billy Hallowell and Trey Gones Phillips from CBN's FaithWire.com. Good Monday morning, fellas. How's it going? Doing well, doing well. How are you? Good, good. What do we have uh, coming up on the pod today? Well, I am going to be talking about a newly formed cold case and missing persons unit in Texas. Ken Paxton just started it, mm. and the first case, or one of the first cases, has led to what some are calling a miracle discovery. Great. I am going to be talking about the satanic temple being removed or stepping down from an Idaho pride event that took place this weekend. They were going to be performing unbaptisms. So we'll talk a little bit <laughs> about is, that. This is a little bit like watching your enemy, <laughs> like your enemies fight, right? Like you're just duking it out. <laughs> you're just like, all right, you guys go ahead and do what you're going to do. But yeah, there's some crazy footage coming out of these pride parades too, by the way. Um, oh, yeah. uh, I'm going to mention that later on, but uh, in a story that I want to cover coming up this week, on one of our main things, but it's really, really disturbing stuff. But we're going to start here, guys. We're going to look through the headlines on this Monday. And, of course, the big story is this group of 10 Republican senators who've helped pave the way. They're calling it a bipartisan, just a framework for a gun safety bill. And uh, that number is significant, the 10 Republicans, because it's the number of Republicans needed to defeat any filibuster attempt. And so uh, here's a little bit about what's going on with this bill. And of course, after Uvalde and Buffalo, um, they're calling this significant. Um, it's a framework for a bill, as I said, it's not a bill. Uh, but there's, but despite some reservations, Joe Biden said he'd sign it. Uh, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer has offered his endorsement and vowed to put the measure on the floor, but they're still going to have to negotiate um, through some of these things. And it's interesting because it includes... Some things that people agree on, we've got funding for school safety resources, expanded background checks, not universal background checks, uh, for and and it's for gun buyers under the age of 21. That's something that's been talked about a lot. Um, they call it, quote, investments in children and family mental health services and incentives for states to implement red flag laws. And that's what um, Madison Seals and Tara Mergener are going to be diving into for our main thing. Uh, coming up here in a few minutes. And that is definitely a controversial uh, point there that's included uh, in the bill, um, which uh, um, the NRA has responded to this, guys. They issued a statement yesterday. They said that, quote, the NRA is committed to real solutions to help stop violence in our communities. We encourage our elected officials to provide more resources to secure our schools, fix our severely broken mental health system, and support law enforcement. And they said, as is our policy, the NRA does not take positions on quote-unquote frameworks. We will make our position known when the full text of the bill is available for review. So there's the NRA's response. Um, I've seen a lot of sort of 2A type people not exactly thrilled about the inclusion of the red flag laws. U.S. Senate candidate Eric Schmidt said that, quote, red flag laws are just a green light for gun confiscation. Um, but Joe Biden, here's what he said about it. He said, I want to thank 
Chris, uh, Senator Chris Murphy and the members of his bipartisan group, especially Senators Cornyn, Cinema, and Tillis, for their tireless work to produce this proposal. Obviously, it doesn't do everything that I think is needed, but it reflects important steps in the right direction and would be the most significant gun safety legislation to pass Congress in decades. With bipartisan support, there's no excuses for delay and no reason why it should not quickly move through the Senate and the House. Each day that it passes, more children are killed in this country. The sooner it comes to my desk, the sooner I can sign it, and the sooner these measures can save lives. So real quick, guys, I just wanted to hit through um, uh, the 10 senators from the Republican side. Uh, you may be interested in that. Lindsey Graham from South Carolina, Mitt Romney from Utah, Pat Toomey from PA, John Cornyn from Texas, Susan Collins from Maine, Tom Tillis, North Carolina, Richard Burr, North Carolina, Roy Blunt um, in Missouri, and Bill Cassidy from Louisiana, and Rob Portman from Ohio. So there you have it. Um, that is the lowdown and what we have so far on this bill. Um, as I said, I've seen a lot of debate already on this. Uh, you have people on the right, uh, sort of the Second Amendment proponents who are not disagreeing with everything in there, but not thrilled about those red flag laws. Again, we're going to dive into those, but um, why does it matter? Obviously, guys, these shootings have just gripped the country for the last few weeks. And over the years, we just keep having these mass shootings spring up. And it's, for whatever reason, something pretty unique to America. You don't see it a lot in other places. So that has that has people wanting to, quote unquote, do something. But of course, do we want to hand over liberties at the same time? And that is the debate. That's why nothing, quote unquote, nothing has happened um, on that front because we don't know if it'll be a net positive. And it's it's just a tough argument. And um, obviously, it's it's something that everybody cares about, but no one really knows exactly what to do. So, what's your guys' reaction to uh, to that? Well, you know, the red flag laws. It's interesting because. Republicans have really been the champions of that, like in some areas and a lot of Republicans don't like them, but, but really the right has led a lot of that. So it's interesting to see where it will go from here because, mm. you know, just that that's been the way this is. In fact, even CNN covering this was, was recently talking about, you know, how, how big this was for the GOP and that's yeah. been done down in Florida and other places. So yeah, interested to see how the party sort of lands on that. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I think some of it is not necessarily in opposition to these uh, these kinds of restrictions being put in place. I think the opposition for at least a lot of conservatives, not necessarily the lawmakers themselves, but the conservatives is we don't want them federalized. If a state wants to put them in place, great, but we don't want the federal government putting them in place. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think it'll be an interesting debate to see are any of these pared down uh, and then maybe seeing state lawmakers kind of pick them up and, and get support. Mm -hmm. So uh, we'll see what happens. But yeah. it certainly is interesting to see, uh, like we've all said, the, uh, the first somewhat bipartisan bill on gun control yeah. in many, many, many years. Yeah. And another thing I'm seeing too, guys, before we head on into the next story is, uh, is, is a lot of people are saying just enforce the laws we already have. You know, I, I saw a lot of people breaking it down, just saying, Hey, some of these things are already out there. We just don't enforce them well enough. And, um, and so there's that whole debate going on as well, but we'll continue to watch this story. You can check it out at cbnnews.com and faithwire.com. Mm. 
All right, so our second story today about the newly formed cold case and missing persons unit in Texas. So Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton recently launched this unit, like I said, which can partly be credited for a stunning discovery being celebrated by some as, quote, a miracle. So in 1981, an unidentified couple was murdered in Houston. Uh, It wasn't until recently, though, that they were finally identified, uh, thanks to a pair of genealogists, as Tina Lynn and Harold Dean Klaus, a Florida couple who had relocated to a suburb near Dallas with their then-infant daughter, Holly Marie. So in October of last year, the main genealogist who discovered the couple's identity, Allison Peacock, she called the surviving Klaus relatives, who immediately asked her about a baby a child that she did not even know existed, uh, and described the news whack, uh, Allison Peacock. Uh, when she found that out, she told the Independent that she was shocked and overwhelmed that there was even a child associated with this couple because that was not at all uh, a part of the research she had done. There were no records uh, of uh, this baby even existing. Uh, so, But at that point, that's when she handed all that she knew uh, over to the cold case and missing persons unit, uh, which, like I said, was formed by the Republican attorney general and had not to that point taken on very many cases. Uh, so this was one of the very first cases taken taken on by Paxton's uh, new unit. And Peacock said that in December of 2021, in January and February of this year, she was talking with state investigators really on a weekly basis. Uh, And while they're still investigating uh, the cause of the death, the murder, you know, of trying to find the suspects uh, who murdered the couple, uh, she actually ended up taking over the search for Holly Marie, which she described as just a humanitarian and personal effort because it was something that over the course of of really just investigating and researching this family, she became passionate about finding, okay, is this child still alive? Uh, If she is, obviously she's an adult now. Where does she live? What is, what is she made of her life? Uh, So Peacock said that it was quote, good old fashioned detective work that finally led her to the missing girl. Now, obviously a woman who lives and works in Oklahoma Uh, finding the woman who was taken in by a church in Arizona where she had been dropped off as an infant uh, and raised by a loving family that was associated with the church. She said finding her was a modern-day miracle. Uh, And, you know, it was actually at her workplace, at the Holly Marie's workplace, uh, that she was told, hey, you have surviving family members who are just not being connected uh, with you because none of them knew that you were even still alive, much less where you were or how to get in touch with you. So she has spent the last couple weeks uh, just, you know, actually it was it was last week that they're finally connected with her with her family. So she spent just the last several days actually connecting with aunts and uncles and cousins and uh, all these people that she did not even know uh, knew that she had ever existed. Uh, so she's meeting just you know, scores of, of new Klaus family members. Uh, and like I said, Texas investigators led by Paxton are still searching for clues to identify the, the assailant or assailants uh, who killed the Klauses. But uh, this is certainly a, a great uh, piece of the story to highlight, I think, certainly as Christians. Uh, so I wanted to, to bring this story to us this morning because uh, I think the, the genealogist who discovered uh, Holly Marie uh, is right 
right when she's calling it a, a miracle mm. discovery uh, that all these years later she's been identified and reconnected with surviving family members. Yeah, that is wild. I mean, and it's great that you're seeing this new case unit put to put to use like that. Um, I mean, a couple things that jump out. I just didn't have, you know, you're like all these relatives you didn't know existed or you find one that existed and then you're the few you like your life. That's, um, that's pretty remarkable. And just for these families too, to get some in these, in this case and in future cases with these cold case units to, to get closure, because we often talk about the stories that hit the news because they've been solved. And to think about those families and there's so many of them out there that don't know what happened to their loved ones. And um, that's just got to be a tough thing to with. And um, this unit is trying to help solve some of that. And I think it's great to see it being uh, effective early. Yeah. And I think just, you know, for all the negative we talk on technology, there's some interesting things that we can do and that have happened as a result of some of this genealogy stuff. Mm. So it's, uh, yeah, yeah, I think, I think it's important as Christians too, that we remember some technology is not bad. So yeah. you know, some of these things really can be used for good. <laughs> indeed. Right? So, indeed. Yeah, all right. So that brings us to our final story here. Um, and this is an interesting one, the Satanic Temple. I'm, I'm sure people are familiar with them. And before we even get into the story, they do not really believe in Satan. Okay, so they're technically an atheist organization. <laughs> They'll tell you that. They're going to be the first to tell you that all the time. They love, yeah, they <laughs> not love Satan or anything out. like that. Right, right. We just constantly <laughs> are saying hell Satan, but we don't believe him. Right. Um, so the Satanic Temple does not believe in Satan, but they, they sort of worship the idea of him, this idea of, you know, self preservation and worship of the self. And so um, anyway, they were removed apparently from an Idaho pride event called pride in the park. This is an event that took place over the weekend. And there's a couple of interesting elements here. They were billed. This was billed as a family friendly event. This is another one of the pride events that has a children's activity area, right? So, you know, here we are again, you've got an event with, with drag Queens and all this other stuff going on and you've got a children's area. Um, and so the satanic temple was a sponsor uh, reportedly for, this event and they were no longer part of it so there are two different streams of information coming out one is that they bowed out on their own according to north idaho pride alliance they said that the satanists quote dropped out of the event on their own accord uh, but there are some reports out claiming that uh, apparently what happened was advertisers were pulling out of the event. And because of that, the Satanic Temple was removed. Now, it's interesting. The Satanic Temple had posted a message saying, you know, before they were removed or pulled out, that they were excited about this event. They were going to be selling products. And they had one line that said, just know Satan loves you for you. <laughs> Hell, Satan. Okay, so that was their Facebook post, which has which has since apparently been removed. And just to put this in in context here, right? This is an event again. It has a children's area, so that sparked some controversy. Um, and so it's interesting that the Satanic Temple's inclusion apparently would have sparked frustration, right? Because there's a lot of other elements going on here that you would also assume might spark the same. Uh, but but this idea of what they were going to do, they were going to have unbaptisms. We know that a baptism is the symbolization of, of death and burial and resurrection in Jesus. This idea of, of de-baptism and unbaptism has grown um, in recent years and recently has really kind of had a, another uptick. And there's different ways that these unbaptisms are done. But the, the general point, obviously, and to offer something like this at the Pride event would have been to renounce one's baptism, to renounce one's faith, right? If, if your parents baptized you even um, as a child to renounce that. And so 
Needless to say, this did not happen over the weekend. There was no renunciation uh, because they were not part of the event. So it's just an interesting, interesting <laughs> twist. Yeah, and and again, like I said at the top, I mean, it feels like watching your enemies duke it out. I mean, it's it's just it's kind of the irony there is uh, is a little bit too much for me to take on the story. The satanic temple rustling around with these pride parades, which, as I said, the images have been disturbing. Yeah, I mean, it's just crazy to think that that something that's such an affront, obviously, to the gospel uh, is even thought of as uh, potentially okay. Uh, but of course, if there's some sort of gospel display, uh, you know, there wouldn't be at a pride event. But you know what I'm saying? Like that would be just yeah. completely anathema to the event. Uh, but this is thought of as as okay. So it's just uh, just another sign of where our culture, our secular culture, at least, uh, mm. is headed. All right. Well, we're going to head on into our main thing for today on that note. And after U.S. senators agreed on a framework for a gun control bill, they included, as we mentioned, the red flag laws. And that turned some heads. And CBN News' Madison Seals talked with correspondent Tara Mergener about how these red flag laws work, the problems with them, and more. Tara, after the recent shooting in Uvalde and the increase in violence nationwide, everyone's talking about putting restrictions on firearms. Everyone has an opinion about gun legislation. But one of the seemingly more agreeable gun control measures is putting red flag laws in place. Can you talk about what red flag laws are and the bipartisan effort on Capitol Hill that's pushing them? Sure. Well, Madison, essentially red flag laws, it's a form of gun control. And what they do in a nutshell is they allow police, family members, folks who live in your household, medical professionals like your doctor or whoever to petition a state court to order at least the temporary removal of firearms from somebody that the person making the request believes to be a danger to themselves or others. So it's like shorthand for a type of gun legislation. And it could include, you know, a known gun owner issuing specific threats to do harm to somebody or demonstrating signs of suffering serious mental illness. If I were to just give it a quick one-liner, it's if you see something, say something. So these red flag orders we're talking about are just one branch of extreme risk protection orders, which are, like you said, put in place to prevent tragedies at the hands of high risk people. So what kind of things do you look for in a high risk person and who can report it? Right. Well, what's interesting is that the Justice Department did a report recently and it says that mass shootings before they happen, the shooter is almost nearly in a state of crisis at the time of the attack. That's obviously not very hard to believe. And they often, they leak their plans before they're actually going to carry them out. The statistic that I have heard is 80% of mass shooters broadcast their intentions in advance. So they tell people they know their friends, their family, whatever, or they talk about it on the internet. Certainly that was the case in Uvalde. Um, So I looked up, you know, what are some of the signs, the common signs people say if somebody is in crisis. So these are from Sandy Hook Promise. Obviously remember that tragedy um, Mm -hmm. from a decade ago. So a few signs they mention is like if somebody suddenly withdraws from their friends or their family, you know, activities like online or social media, bullying, 
uh, especially if, if it's targeted toward somebody of a different race, religion, or gender, even sexual orientation, excessive irritability, getting angry quickly, chronic loneliness, isolating themselves, persistent thoughts of harming themselves, and again, making those direct threats toward a place, another person, themselves, and some of people brag about access to guns or weapons, having the access. Um, sometimes they recruit accomplices or someone else to help with the attack, and then, of course, directly expressing that threat as their plan. So those are a list of uh, things that Sandy Hook Promise has put out there and uh, are fairly common among the experts in terms of what they look for. Yeah, it's interesting that we're starting to see this pattern of a stereotypical shooter or what all shooters have in common because that's one of the ways we can hopefully help prevent future tragedies. And I think at this point, people are just desperate for a solution because we have seen this happen over and over again. So I don't think anybody is arguing about whether or not something needs to be done. What people are arguing about is what needs to be done. And red flag laws are just one preventative measure that states should consider. So what does support for these laws look like and how many states are currently using them? 19 states. Um, have these red flag laws now, uh, including Florida. There's been an outcry, of course, as you've heard, and more people kind of jumping on the bandwagon following, you know, Uvalde. Uh, not only that, but Buffalo and other shootings nationwide, and Democrats, again, are pushing for stronger gun control measures. And in the red flag laws, where they rarely have common ground with Republicans, this appears to be one area where there might be some wiggle room to get stuff done. You know, Republicans, is like they generally reject reject these stricter gun control proposals. So while the shock of all this is still fresh, you know, these folks are on Capitol Hill pushing. John Cornyn is leading the push. Chris Murphy sent the senators and um, we'll see what happens. There's a poll put out by ABC News in 2019. It's another statistic. 86% of Americans actually support red flag laws. So that was, you know, from a while ago. So it'd be interesting if another poll was done now where that number would come out and getting back to the Republicans, Donald Trump, even during his presidency came out and he was pushing for red flag laws. So whether or not they can come together on it this time after after a shooting, mass shooting, there's a lot of hubbub on Capitol Hill and a lot of talk, but not too often do things actually get done, as we know. And when we talk about this being a bipartisan issue, what comes to mind is that maybe it's we're finding common ground here because there's been evidence that it's successful. So is that true? Have red flag laws proved effective in the 19 states that have them in place? Florida has used it 9,000 times almost since 2019. They have used it after the Parkland shooting that was enacted. So they've been used many times using Florida as an example, but how often do they actually stop a mass shooting? It's, I guess it's, it's pretty hard to prove. So people do believe that, that they're working, at least to some extent. So here's some research for you. For every 10 to 20 firearms removed in Connecticut, this is according to one study, a life is saved. 
In California, there have been at least 21 cases when a red flag law disarmed people threatening mass shootings. Again, the people doing the study said we don't really know if it was the red flag law that actually stopped it, but it was used in this case and the mass shooting was not carried out. Certainly, Skeptics on both sides of the aisle, gun rights supporters arguing that, you know, in the process, they're punishing law-abiding people. Even the ACLU insisting the process must be fair to those affected. But again, there seems to be agreement that they seem to be working to some extent, even preventing suicides, according to some studies. But are they the answer entirely? No one seems to agree on that. Right. There's definitely a lot more involved in safety measures than just red flag laws, just like there's much more work needed to curb violence than just gun legislation. And Matthew McConaughey actually delivered a great speech about this this week at the White House after meeting with families of the school shooting in Uvalde, where he actually grew up. He laid out a call to multiple areas of action and legislation instead of just restrictions on guns. We need to invest in mental health care. We need safer schools. We need to restrain sensationalized media coverage. We need to restore our family values. We need to restore our American values. And we need responsible gun ownership. So Tara, should red flag laws be combined with other legislation to combat violence? Well, Madison, certainly a lot of people believe that's the case. Gun rights advocates say we're looking totally at the wrong argument that, of course, people talk about mental health issues, fortifying schools, you you know, uh, controlling sensationalized media coverage. Are they getting celebrity status when they carry out some of these school shootings? There's been a lot of discussion about that. Uh, Some folks talk about the breakdown of the American family and maybe too many boys growing up without their fathers and American values, right? You hear the refrain over and over that it's not the gun, it's the people pulling the trigger. So mm-hmm. I I don't think anyone would argue that the issue in its totality needs to be addressed. It's just this argument over how much do you control the actual access to guns and protecting the Second Amendment, that that is, I think, the the major, obviously, the major issue. And all these other things, obviously, need to be addressed as well. Yeah. Well, with everything we've talked about, I want to end with this. There's no doubt a need for more than thoughts and prayers. But let's not discount the prayers either. We could do a whole other episode about the mental health crisis and the fatherless crisis we're seeing in each of these mass shooting cases. So those problems need to be addressed as well. And as Christians, we know prayer is our biggest weapon against evil. So pray for the families who have experienced loss and are hurting. Pray for wisdom for our lawmakers and pray that God would help each of us to make informed decisions about how best to protect lives in an increasingly violent country and world. And on that note, that's all we have time for today. But for those listening, you can check out Tara's entire story on our website at cbnnews.com. Tara, thanks for joining the podcast today. Oh, you're welcome, Madison. Thanks for having me. All right. Thank you, Madison and Tara, for that report. And so 
As we close out the podcast today, guys, we want to look at one last thing for today. And I love this story. It's a traffic stop that's gone viral. And uh, it's an African-American couple. They're pulled over by a white cop, which, of course, the media makes a big deal out of that. I see this from a Christian perspective more as just humans being human to one another, less about the race. But um, basically what happened is uh, a, a young woman and her dad, she was taking him back from some cancer treatments. And the officer um, decided to, he's going back to write them a ticket for speeding. And then he's just thinking about it in, in his seat. And this is Trooper Jared Doty from the North Carolina State Highway Patrol. And he had pulled over Ashley Wilkerson and her father, Anthony Tony Geddes. And um, he was just very weak after this chemo treatment. And so obviously he noticed it. And it was taking a long time for this ticket. And they're sitting in the car going, what is taking so long? And it was actually just the trooper reflecting. And when he came back, instead of issuing them a ticket or, and, and more issues, he just said, can I pray with you? And they said, of course, we believe in the power of prayer. And so they prayed together and it was a beautiful thing. That's powerful. I, I love that. And I think these are the moments that, that go viral because we're so desperate for that kindness and that compassion yeah. in our culture, you know, and, mm -hmm. and what a nice thing to do here because that cop could have been, he could have behaved completely differently. We've all been in those circumstances and yet he's showing that compassion that we should all show not only as believers, but as human beings. Mm. Yeah. I mean, this is a great example of, of a, a person, this trooper uh, being kingdom and eternally minded. It's a good reminder for all of us as believers to be led by the spirit in these moments. So kudos to this officer. And I think a great reminder for us reading and, and hearing about it too. Yeah, indeed. All right. That's all the time we have for this podcast today. And other stories we're tracking this week, Joe Biden visiting Saudi Arabia. The battle at Donbass could be decisive in Ukraine. And, and these drag queen kids shows are sweeping the nation. I think that could be a main thing coming later in this week. But we do this show to bring a Christian perspective to the news. Please subscribe. Help us grow this show if you agree with the mission. Just go ahead and share it with a friend. We'd love for you to do that. Um, but that is all the time we have for today. We'll be back tomorrow with more as i always say lord willing and that creek don't rise uh, we will be back here tomorrow at 7 a.m with more news from a christian perspective god bless enjoy the rest of your monday